Why don't we uh, start off with prayer? Uh, Father, we thank You for this evening and thank You for Your truth. Thank You for this great example You've given us in this uh, Thessalonian church. People who truly were Yours and, and they showed it by the lives that they lived. They were a great example for the body of Christ today as uh, they went uh, through some terrible persecution and, and really rough times and yet they persevered all the way through. And uh, we know it's always because of Your guiding hand. You're in everything. So we thank You, Lord. Thank You for Your Word. And may we get a blessing out of uh, what You have here for us tonight. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, verse 3. Well, he starts off in verse 2. We give thanks to God. So here's his prayer. Thanking God, remembering about them always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. We'll stop there. We've seen in other occasions in Scripture where Paul uses this trio of words, faith, hope, and love. Uh, one you have to think of is, of course, First uh, Corinthians thirteen, thirteen, where it uh, speaks about these three gifts will remain. Uh, they they are eternal gifts. They're the gifts now for the for the church, the body of Christ. Paul used it also, and in, uh, in this same letter in First uh, Thessalonians, chapter five, verse eight, and you'll notice this trio is is there again. It says, "But we are the day. Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith." and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So there you have the breastplate of faith and love, and then he mentions the helmet, the hope of salvation. So that is uh, like the the warfare, uh, defensive armor that he would be uh, speaking of there and uh, uses that analogy. Um, also, there is a passage in Colossians chapter 1, 4 and 5. Again, that trio... And he starts off in Colossians kind of like what he does in Thessalonians. He says in verse 3, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Does that sound familiar? Matter of fact, there's another letter. Is it? Philippians does something along the same lines, doesn't it? Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. Very similar to the Thessalonian letter there. Uh, I wonder if the Colossians would, would be comparing their letter, you know, and if these circular letters are going around, they get the Thessalonians letter. Look, he said almost the same thing. Carbon coffee. <laughs> Here he says faith in Christ, the love for the saints, and then the hope dealing with heaven. And uh, Thessalonians is uh, going to be something along the same lines, but he uses some uh, a trio of words with each one of those here, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfast hope. So he amplifies those three words with with those. Um, we'll first look at the work of faith, and I could see how this could be like what they had done in the past. And you can see how they have a labor of love, which they're doing now. And then the hope would be for the future as as you're dealing with the return of Christ, as, as he was speaking in Colossians there. So the work of faith is what you first look at there. And work of faith brings out uh, a thought production, work. Uh, the word here is ergon. And ergon is dealing with works, it's dealing with energy, it's, it's doing something, it's an action, it's production. True faith produces works. 
uh, MacArthur put a book out called Faith Works. And you really have to think about that. But then you don't have to think too hard because if you have faith, it works. But if you believe in a grace type salvation, you go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, this sounds like a, a works-based salvation. This is wrong. But it's saying a true grace type of faith also is going to work. And, and we know uh, what that means. Book of James. Definitely. And that, that's why Protestantism is always confused, or the, the, the Catholics are confused by Protestantism because the Catholics say, well, you, you have to work. And of course, they have works for salvation, and they, they use James. And uh, Luther had a problem with that, and, and so he said it really wasn't to be uh, put in the canon at one time. Uh, because of that, it, it, it seemed to present a problem, but it doesn't. James and Paul go together there. Uh, of course, Paul is, is talking about the salvation um, matter, and James is talking about if you're saved, you will work it out. But Paul would be saying the same thing. And of course, here he, he is, uh, as he's saying that uh, there's a work of faith. This is how you can know somebody's a Christian. This is how, how you can know somebody is an elect. A true saving faith is always revealed uh, and manifested in how we live our lives. That's how we show our faith. And James said that. You say you believe, then what? Show show me your faith. You can't say you have a faith in God and it never affects somebody's life. Uh, we know that. There, there will be a change in life, won't there? Matter of fact, it's radical. It's a radical change. So a faith that works means a faith that produces things, produces something. And that's representative faith. So, ergon, works. It's, it's dealing with the deed done. Now, the next one we'll get into in just a moment, the labor of love. You have works here, um, the work of faith, labor of love. This ergon, this works, is dealing with the deed that is done. It refers to the, the action. The deed, the action. It's an action word. It's an achievement. It's doing something. The function itself. Uh, with that thought, go to Romans 2, verse 6. Paul had seen of this and he heard about it very quickly. And you remember, and in that uh, little video we had, we know that Paul was there in the synagogue for three weeks. For three weeks, uh, three Sabbaths. And so we could say, okay, he was out of there and the persecution happened, so he was out of there in three weeks. We could say that and be okay with it, because many do. But many commentators will also say that it can mean more than three weeks. It can be weeks or even uh, a few short months. It wasn't very long, though, um, until he later did move on. The persecution did happen. And you can say, well, how do you, why would you say it's longer than three weeks? Well, he was in the synagogue as it said, for three weeks. And so therefore, there could have been weeks longer that he could have stayed uh, there with them teaching in a house or somewhere. So that's why um, the gentleman there said probably weeks or maybe even uh, a couple of months, something along that lines. Um, he always went to the synagogues first. Right. They usually keep right. Him he didn't usually stay there too long, did he? But we get a time frame that it, whether it's three weeks or whether it's six weeks, seven weeks, whatever it was. I mean, if if you teach somebody the gospel and you start discipling, two months is not very long at all, is it? You'd like to disciple them for like you know months or years if you if you don't mind, right? Um, but in this case, it, that's usually not the case for Paul. Anyway, he he does have to move on. Uh, what did I say? Romans two six. What do we have here? who will render to each person according to his deeds. This is talking about the righteous judgment of God. There he's talking about, of course, by your... There's almost like a James thing, though, but um, there are deeds, there are works that will be uh, shown or you'll have a lack of if you're not uh, of His. Uh, Go to Romans 13, same book there, Romans 13.3. 13, actually. No, maybe it is Romans 13.3. Yeah, okay. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. 
So there he's talking about doing good. There in this case it's specific as far as uh, obedience to the uh, the authority, bearing the uh, authority there that God has set up. Of course you have your James 2, 17 and 18 that uh, Bob was talking about there, chapter 2. James is saying that what distinguishes counterfeit faith from the real thing is righteous behavior and it will be produced. So it's the deed done. It's the, the achievement. Uh, the reason they were doing good, and Paul is more or less saying this, the reason you're doing good there, Thessalonians, is because God is at work in you. He's doing a great work in you. To produce the fruit of that salvation, God has to be doing that work and then He tells us to, to what? To work it out. He works it in, we work it out. Good deeds. It verifies salvation. Uh, faith is evidenced by production. Next one. The labor of love. Kind of a an affection here that we're dealing with. Uh, the word actually is uh, agapao, agape, um, love. Um, but the word that amplifies it there is the labor of love. And this is a different one from works. This is not ergon. It's talking about, though, an effort that is extended. It's talking about being motivated. A, a Christian has a mark of being the, the elect because he's motivated to do something. In this case, it's, it's about the love. And, and when we read Colossians, it said love for the saints. Of course, where does our love really start at? It starts with God producing the love in us, and we love God, and we love our neighbor. So there's an effort extended, born out of love for Christ, a love for God. The word there for um, labor is kapos. K-O-P-O-S if you want to put it in English lettering. but It means to toil. It means to work toil to the very point of exhaustion. So that's the kind of love that they had for God and love for others. They toiled to the point of exhaustion. Extreme effort. And that's what Paul is saying this about uh, on the Thessalonians, this work of faith, the labor of love to the point of exhaustion. That's the kind of love they had for each other. Um, it And it really means to strain all of your energies to get everything out to the very max level. That's the idea here whenever he uses this word kapos. Toiling all the way to the very extreme max. That's love, isn't it? Uh, agapao, special kind of love. It's that's God's kind of love. Uh, they lived out their love for Christ. They strained their energy to live out the love of Christ by loving each other. And of course, at the time that the Thessalonians were living in, and in their persecution, and it could have even been family come against them, especially, but where they worked at just their neighbors, whatever kind of persecution they might have had, they they hung together. They had a sacrificial love for each other. Uh, probably took them in their homes and such, but uh, to the point of exhaustion. Galatians 5.6. kind of love is this, right? Galatians 5.6. For in Christ... Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. There's two of the words that we're dealing with. There's faith, your faith, your trust in Christ, and it works through love. So faith and love go together, don't they? You can't divide them. Faith, hope, and love. There's faith and love right there. Um... How about Second Thessalonians, chapter one, eleven? To this end also we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. The work of faith. So going back to that uh, that work uh, or toiling there is the thought. 
So now we have work of faith, labor of love. And what's the next one? It's, yeah, it means to, to continue. That's, and that's the word that I, I, I put on there. Um, endurance. Um, do you have steadfastness? Some versions are going to be um, trying to amplify that a little bit. But uh, it's dealing with endurance or perseverance or continuing on. That's, that's the idea. And this is where it looks into the future. We've, we've kind of seen a past tense in their working, what they had done, and what they're doing in their labor of love, and then their hope that continues right on to eternity, on the return of Christ. And that's how we persevere, that, that hope. They never lost their hope in Christ. They never quit. They never bailed out. They're steadfast. You know what the word is for um, the steadfast here that I have? Hupomone. Hupo is under. It means to remain under. That's the idea of the word. To remain under, to persevere. And we see that word constantly, don't we? Constantly through Paul's writings. To remain under. To remain under hope. They continued with hope when it didn't seem like they had any hope there yeah and so that's why it's always good to you know to know the culture that's that's around them trying to get a feel for these people because these really are our brothers and sisters in Christ we just haven't met them yet you know these are the you know the saints that are made perfect in the sense that they're not sinning anymore and uh, of course they wait for a, a resurrected body but uh, uh, these people are uh, something to be amazed at as Paul was as he as he looked at this. So there was he was amazed, and I, like I say, if this is only like a few months later as he writes this letter, uh, they've continued on with it. In that sense, it, it's pretty remarkable, considering where they came from, what they were, and now what they're facing constantly. Um, hope. I think I got a passage out of Matthew. It's that word, hupomone. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. You will show your faith because you will endure at the end of it all. And constantly we are persuaded, told to stay in the faith, right? If you're a Christian, you will. But there's another thing about persevering. Paul We'll mention that quite a bit. Look in Acts 14.22. Again, using that same word, hupomone. Acts 14.22. They went around to the uh, the churches, strengthening them as they went on their uh, return and strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, "Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God." Well, that's our promise. That's our guarantee, right? But they they were but we need encouragement. We need to be strengthened. So that's that's what they did when they came back around to those churches that were started, encouraged them, strengthened, and then saying. Continue in the faith. Stay in it. Hupomone. Stick around, right? Remain under. You're going to go through tribulations. Many tribulations before you go into the eternal state or the kingdom of God coming up. Um, Hope. What do we mean by hope? It's the anticipation. Future glory. Got a tremendous vacation coming up or whatever, right? And you just can't wait till that happens. You know, you have this hope. You know what? That's what you, you get. You're, this is what you're you're ready for, right? But we have this future glory. We know that is uh, coming. As a matter of fact, I think we know that more than we would happen to know what tomorrow is going to bring. When you hope in earthly things, you never know if they're really going to happen or not. Right. You don't know for sure. But you know, our hope in Christ and our hope, you know, for spending eternity with Him is certain. 
Right. And that word, that's what that means. It's a certain. Yeah. It's a certainty. It's not a, I hope so. I hope it'll happen. So. We know that. Yeah. And that good to know that He gives us that. Well, that is a gift, isn't it? And we'll continue to have that for the rest of eternity. This, this kind of hope. A guaranteed hope. Uh, Romans 5.2 Through whom also, that's Christ, we have obtained our introduction, our access, by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. We stand in this grace right now and we have this hope of the glory that is to come. Wonderful. Do you know off the top of your head the Greek word for hope? I think that's uh, Elpis... One twenty-seven. To whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We sing a song that has that lyric in there, and I can't remember which one it is now. It's everything. Yeah. Hope of glory. Here we go. Christ there in. Was one from back in the 80s too. Right. <laughs> Same one. I can't remember the artist. Hey, it was 30 years ago. Yeah. You did good to get that line there. You know. It's always stuck with me. <laughs> Those kind of do. You know, Scripture tends to do that, doesn't yeah. it? Yep. And that's why I love the, the scriptural songs like that because it, it just sticks in the head that much more. Years later, you have to decide to come that's right. Well, Christ in you. Ephesians 1.11 have to get this one in there. I'm not so sure what... Oh, it goes into verse 12, yeah. Also, we have obtained inheritance, having been predestined, according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. That's all we need right there, but verse 12. To the end, that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. To the ones who were the first of those believers there earlier on. Anyway, hope, anticipation of future glory. Now we go and we, we um, look at uh, that sense where it as us hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of God and Father, right? Very presence of Him. There's where that hope is at. Very presence of God Himself. God and Father, and it's in Christ that that happens. Verse 4. Now, these are marks of who the elect are. We look at the elect or His choice, beloved by God. He says, knowing. Paul knew this. Kind of an intuitive, intuitive, I can say it, knowledge, brethren, beloved by God. So he knows this. Of course, he's inspired by God to write this, but he knows. These guys are real Christians. You ever met somebody right off the bat? You just know they're Christians. I mean, you know, and of course, he, he, he had seen their growth very rapidly anyway and how they came to Christ. But, and he calls them brethren. Isn't that great to know? It's, these are our brothers too. Brothers in Christ. Beloved by God. His choice of you. The church in Thessalonica was saved and he knew it. Uh, he had a, a knowledge, no doubt in his mind whatsoever. He calls them brethren. They're kindred together. They're children of God in Christ. Beloved by God. I mean, they have the sovereign love of God uh, which continues on forever to benefit us. So God is the initiator of this whole thing. And this is why um, we can count on all of these marks of Christ because they are God's elect. And God is the one who started it. If we started it, we would fail. We'd fail every time. But He knows they're beloved by God and His choice. Eklego. It's related to uh, the word elect. Uh, related to ecclesia. 
You know, the called out ones, the church. Choice. His choice of you, God initiates it. Look in John fifteen, sixteen. Of course, here's where you get in the doctrine election, right there as he's speaking to the Thessalonians. Speaks to the disciples and says, You did not choose me. That's a load full right there, but I chose you and appointed you. Why? That you'd go and bear fruit. That your fruit would remain. There we go. <laughs> so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you this command you that you love one another. A lot right there just in those two verses. You did not choose me, but I chose you. It starts with God. I don't know if we want to do a whole lot of verses on election. We've done it so much down through the years, but I'll tell you what. Every time I go to that, I can't help but just think of a few verses and it refreshes us on that. We believe in election. Don't have to knock this into anybody's brain. But isn't it nice to go through these promises? Uh, let's go through a few verses. Go to John 1.13. Just, this is dealing with God's election and His initiating it. Uh, the book of John. John is just full of it. I mean, it's just almost like every chapter you'll see that. You don't have to look too hard. But in John 1.13, speaks of the ones who believe in His name, and He comes back and it says, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, not of our humanness, nor the will of man. There we go, the free will of man. That's why we chose God. That's what the church says today, right? But it, of God. Anybody that read the book of John, I would think any Christian, I would be one of the first books that he'd read right in the very first chapter. We get this. We're born not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man. It wasn't my idea. It's not my will, but it is of God, His will. It's God's will that I was born again. Of course, John 3 is going to be speaking about being born again, which we couldn't do. Couldn't do it the first time, can't do it the second time. Then we have to turn to Romans 9. And how often do we turn there? But we, we just have to go there. Because this one probably speaks louder than maybe any of them. Sovereignty of God. Just a couple of verses, 15 and 16. For who says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I have compassion on whom I have compassion? That's what God says to Moses. So then it does not depend on the man who wills, there again, just like what John was saying, or the man who runs, he works, but on God who has mercy. And of course, um, he's already been speaking about election as he talked about the twins, Isaac and Ishmael. Verse 11, For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to His choice would stand, not because of works, not because of what they did, not because of what they believed, because of Him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. Sovereign choice of God, sovereign will of God. And of course, the potter and the clay follows the... Um, 15 and 16 that we just read there. We're familiar with that section. What did he say to the Thessalonians? Well, he says it a few times. Turn to Second Thessalonians. Another letter that he wrote to them. He was fond of these guys. Very fond. So he wrote two letters to this church. Not everybody gets... The Romans didn't even get two letters. Thessalonians, they get a couple. And they're all encouraging. Second Thessalonians 2.13 but we should always give thanks to God for you. He's already said that in the first letter, didn't he? Brethren, beloved by the Lord. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Use that in the first Thessalonians letter. Because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this He called you through our Gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there, He chose you, He called you. I can't think of anything more up front. We loved Him because He first loved us. There you go. And that, that verse right there is probably just as good as any verse dealing with God initiating. We couldn't love Him until He first loved us. And everybody has to agree with that. 
I mean, why argue against the who who initiates this salvation? Uh, I love Acts thirteen. Acts thirteen forty six through forty eight. preaching of the Gospels happening, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the Word of God be spoken to you. First, since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. Jew first, then to the Gentile. When the Gentiles heard this... They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And here we go. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. They were already appointed. They heard the gospel and then they believed. They were appointed to do that anyway. I love that verse. That's a great one to turn to. These are refreshers in case we ever need to use them for ourselves or somebody needs to hear these particular verses. That's right. And Paul knew they were elect. So that was that knowing this, brethren, beloved by God, right? God has chosen you. you know, he uses all these other ones, and this is kind of like the heart of it all right here, though. Because um, it, it, that's where it, it starts. It's, it starts with uh, God. And uh, so, you know, those are just a few of the aspect of God starting it. Um, there it was really before the foundation of the world. He had already appointed them. And uh, man, they got excited when they found out that He had turned to them and they became just on the spot. They heard the Word and just like that it happened. Beautiful. Um, a lot of times, um, Jesus will use the word elect for believers. Uh, in Matthew chapter 24, I think uh, 24, 24, maybe, maybe. Should sound familiar. False Christ, false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Well, that's how far it's going to go, but he says, if possible. If it were possible, they would even be deceived. But God's people will not ultimately be deceived, will they? They will not believe the lie. Uh, but there he's talking how significant of deception will be happening at that time. Uh, and he calls the elect. Obviously, that that's the church. That's the believers. Well, and that's the perseverance of the saints, too, right? It, exactly. And it's really better than persevering is preservation. He preserves us. We don't do it ourselves because we would, we would turn our back on him if if we could. He's not going to let that happen. Uh, yeah, verse twenty-two. Unless the days have been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short for their sake. Uh, how about verse thirty-one? I think you have it again. He will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the end of the sky to the other. Gathering together his elect, his. So that's a good word to use, and we don't hear that often. You know, we hear you know there are a lot of words for the church and Christians, like believers, the saved, the elect. Yeah, yeah. It sounds well. I'm elect. You know, it sounds like because God so loved. The world. <laughs> and who's the world? It's the other. And Luke, I think it's in Luke 18 and 7. Uh, and now shall not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? There again, his elect. This is Jesus using those words. People would say, oh, I don't. You know, I don't like that idea of election. Well, you don't like the idea of Jesus 
course, the gospel according to Jesus uh, deals with our election. Matter of fact, he said parables for the ones that could hear him. Mm-hmm. What would you say to somebody who just said, well, that's the English translation of the word? And say, well, do, do you know what the Greek is? <laughs> say, it's, it's a klektos, which is how we get our English word elect. <laughs> it means called out. It's Use the word church. Do you know church? What that means? Ecclesia. Those are the called out ones. It's related to Eclego. It definitely doesn't mean everybody. That's right. And if there's elect, do he elect everybody? And we never see that. If he elected everybody, there wouldn't be a hell. So why does he talk about hell? Right. Right. And if he elected everybody, why even talk about electing anyone? Right. Always goes back to that, doesn't it? Yep. This is the time of the the, the year this week, and definitely concentrate on that cross. Always go back to the cross, don't we? Romans eight thirty three. You have to touch in on a little bit of Romans, especially Romans eight. Of course, you have the matter of predestination there, and. Of course, the golden chain. Think about that. Uh, his purpose and and such and uh, foreknowledge. But in verse thirty-three, he uses that word. Paul does. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? See how often it's mentioned. Jesus uses it several times. Paul uses it. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Oh, how about? Colossians 3.12. He uses the word chosen here. So, as those who have been chosen of God, same word, same same related word, this uh, eklegos, eklektos, chosen of God, he says what to put on. Second um, Timothy two ten. You know this doctrine is everywhere in Scripture. I'm just picking out a few. It's just, the more and more that you know this doctrine, the more that it just pops out everywhere. <laughs> you, you can't hide it. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus of eternal glory. You know what Paul is saying there to Timothy? He's saying, I have to keep on with this. I have to endure. I have to persevere through this. I have to keep going because there are elect people out there who are not saved yet. (laughs) That's the idea. that You can be elect chosen by God but you're not saved yet because they're waiting they're, they don't know they're waiting but there's a gospel to be preached to them so that God's Holy Spirit can come in and regenerate them because of the word of God yeah. and the sheep always need a shepherd too you know, even when they're when they're sheep they, they need continual shepherding and so it's an ongoing thing isn't it yeah. exactly Does it say elect? Timothy Elect for chosen. I'm just curious good. when I was using an NIV several years back, and, and this is just subjective, I don't know. I don't remember seeing the word elect in it as many times. But they did there, right? We're saying. They did in that particular okay. verse, yeah. But, well, and it just could be because I've been using this one for so long. I don't know. Well, you know, in your versions, you can have one version, and where it's mentioned one time, in another place, it might, instead of elect, it might be chosen. Chosen. Or, um, yeah. Here's my NAS here. And, of course, that was chosen there, wasn't it? That I read in yours, and it was yeah. left in mine. Yeah. Right. Uh, Titus one one. What does it say there? It, it's still the same Greek word, and, and they're interchangeable. 
chosen elect. Right. That's that's a whole idea. Yeah, they've been yeah. chosen. Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God, and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. There, there is chosen. Do we uh, do we have the elect there by chance? Yeah. Well, is, I just did. What, what does NIV say which, there? Which, which verse are we Titus one one. It's the ch- chosen of God there is what I have. The ESV has elect. Elect. So there you go. Okay, well, there's some words the NIV doesn't use at all, like propitiation. Right. And so right. I didn't know if there was just some differences in language that... Yeah, I don't know why the the ones who made this translation, may, you know, they, they will use both of these words... It's the same word, but the, I guess maybe the way that they it, maybe it fits with with that. I I don't know what what delineates what that. What is so different about propitiation that they don't use it in that version? I think probably in in an NIV, the reason they wouldn't have it is because it's it sounds like a very hard word, and they probably wanted to reduce that down. The propitiation is a uh, is a is a doctrine, and of course that word I think defines it. Uh, better than any other word that we can have. I, I, w- I definitely favor NAS has that word, but if you say that word today in your in your modern church, people are going to say what? They yeah, never well, heard of it. I have some people in my small group who um, have been Christians for like forty years, and you know, of course, we use all different versions in there. And I forgot what we were reading, what verse versus specifically say propitiation and somebody whose Bible does say propitiation was reading that particular verse and this one couple I guess they've never used this version just stopped and said whoa what does that mean they'd never heard of it before. well there you go yeah there you so, go and and it should have it should have been mentioned all the time well yeah I think there's I think it said atoning sacrifice which is what it means but um, and I hadn't heard of it until I switched over to it. Yeah, it sounds like a. a this is not your DNA Bible. Huh? This is not your No, this is my well marked up Bible. So, okay. My study, my real study. Yes, Well, this was an elect church, and uh, of course they uh, are showing the success of the power of the Word of God. It's for God's own purpose. They're elect out of a. Out of a group of uh, pagans, filthy pagans, they're in the midst of uh, theological confusion, I guess, in a sense, to traditions. This little group here, though, is true. They are pure, and um, it's it's eight o'clock, so I'm going to go ahead and, and cut it here. But you have to have a question, and it's like, well, how? How do you know that? It's like Paul. How do you know? Okay, you're inspired. You know, how could we know that somebody? How could we know that other people in the church are true? How does one know that that you know that they're genuinely a child of God? Well, you know, we could still be mistaken. We're we're people, but you have a couple categories. You have a present condition, and then the second one would be you know a past conversion. Well, Paul had been there at their conversion. Um, and he had seen something that was real. And that's why he's going to say it, and we'll pick it up next week when he starts talking about the Word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit and conviction. And it was something that he knew. He even experienced. Uh, there was a power that came out of him that wouldn't come out of an ordinary, just an ordinary man like Paul. But when you're filled with God's Spirit and His Word, there's a power that happens. He saw that at conversion, and then he also the present condition of them, and that's what we see in verses five through ten. Uh, the gospel comes to them; it changes them. And uh, they're in Christ for a very brief time. I know I've been saying that throughout, but it's almost like, well, yeah, Paul. It's you know, you, you have mass conversions here, you know, a whole bunch at one time, and maybe it's all just something that there was a good feeling going on. But you know, they they could lose it within a short amount of time. But this little church was was born there. Silas and Timothy had, had uh, labored with them, and uh, in a matter of weeks, all this happened. And Paul knows that they've been chosen by him. They are choice. They are elect. They are chosen. 
And um, we've already seen the work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope. Um, They must be loved by God because of the love that they have for each other. People will know that you're My disciples because of the love that you have for each other. Uh, They're beloved by God, so therefore they do that. They're proving their choice in the way that they receive the, the Gospel, that power. They continued on. They were imitators of Christ. They were imitators of Paul. There was much tribulation, and they kept on going through that. Uh, they were quite an example to all the other believers. Word was going out. It was trumpeting out. It was blasting out all around uh, other cities and countries around them. And they were they were hearing about them. It was traveling everywhere. Remember Ignatian Way, the highway? Remember the Aegean Sea, the Mediterranean Sea? God set up a great place to bring the Gospel to Certain people who were elect to get a church started. This this is incredible how God works. Should say, not at Thessalonica. You don't want to go there. Not there. That's that's the worst place you could ever be. You know, it's like going to Las Vegas or Chicago or New York or uh, San Francisco or Miami <laughs> or East St. Louis or L.A. <laughs> Just think how God works. Yeah. Alan. Um, do you know which, when this church was started? Very early, and that's what we were talking so about last week. Okay. This could have been uh, like his, possibly like his second letter that he wrote. It was very early, 40, uh, 49 uh, A.D., somewhere okay. in that area. So we definitely by the by this time definitely have the um, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was wondering, maybe you, since you said Paul kind of left them real quick, uh, could it be that they had prophets there that were actually could explain that since they didn't have a New Testament canon, they could probably grow that church themselves because they had the, those gifts of the Holy Spirit were still there. Right, and, and that is, and of course, that leads right into where we'll be dealing with next week. Because if God is... If He has an elect people, even though Paul's not there, of all people, you don't want to lose Paul teaching, but he had to, he had no choice. He had to get out of there. or you know, Evidently. Um, you know, And so, it, it's like God can take care of His church even if He doesn't have Paul. God can take care of His church even if He doesn't have any present leaders. He will raise them up. Or he, if they have those gifts, they're going to immediately start using them. And they have teaching gifts. They, you know, It's not like they've been doing this for years, but this is the power of God. And if He has His elect, He will make sure that they will get the Gospel one way or another. Uh, I was raised in a church that was really weak, very weak on its theology. But I got some basics, got some ideas, but God made sure somewhere along the line that He brought people along and it was just like all of a sudden the hunger that I had for God's Word just exploded and I couldn't get enough. And it, But He brought the right people at the right time to do that. And uh, so, you know, I was... I was starving to death. Carolyn and I were starving to death in the church that we were going. So, you know, it could have been like this, but God made sure that I got truth. So you yeah. went from a Catholic church into a doctrinally poor Protestant church. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very much. He went first to the synagogue. So probably there, some of the converts were probably Jews. So they did have the Old Testament to then... Teach oh, absolutely. The Bereans had that too because they searched the Scriptures daily. So so they were searching the Old Testament Scriptures is what they were searching. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that's all, all there was at the time. About Jesus. And yeah. And well, you have the Apostles' I teaching. remember that a lot of the teachings that the way that we can explain so much of the Old Testament has to do with the things that are taught them. Right. Because he explained hell to people. You could barely understand that, and uh, even even the coming of the Messiah was difficult for the Jews to understand without the New Testament. 
without the exactly. Holy Spirit. Right. I mean, it took the Holy Spirit for even even the disciples to understand yeah. it. And they, there were people. They, they I guess, I guess just like in the church now, there are people that understand a lot of truths, and some people are, just don't get them. Uh, there were people waiting for a Messiah. There were people that knew. Uh, what's that man that in the temple that that saw Jesus and said, "I can die now." Simeon. Yeah, Simeon. So they, he knew to wait for a Messiah, but the other ones were like, "We're waiting for a king." Right. Yeah, but, how right. that, but again, how was that revealed from? God gave him that right. special insight to understand. Yeah. Well, think, and by the way, if Paul was there, let's just say three weeks, but it was probably a little bit more than that. Can you imagine, with what he could teach in three weeks, they got the gospel probably more, well, there's no probably about it, more clear than most of the body of Christ today that's been sitting in the church that don't know what propitiation is for 40 years. And what he did in those three, three weeks, let's say those three Sabbaths in the synagogue, it had to be more than most get today. Well, they probably walked twelve hours a day too. Well, yeah. Well, Paul probably people probably sat around. He said, "Okay, my hour's up. We got to go." <laughs> and, and they go, "Wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait, you know." They go, "What about what about this?" <laughs> anyway, I'm going to close in prayer if we want to keep on going, but um, I'm I'm trying to keep it from going way way later in the evening but yet we can stay. Well, but your website says 8.15. 8.15. And hey, I'm doing good because I'm getting out of here early. <laughs> Father, thank You for this evening. Thank You for Your Word and Your truth. It uh, certainly is a blessing. Thank You for these Thessalonians. They are a model. A model for a church. And uh, Lord, help us to be uh, like them, to be like Paul, to be like Christ to be little Christs, to be following Christ. That's what Christians mean. And thank you, Lord, that um, you have called us the elect. We are here and we know who we are because of what you've done long before we were ever here. Praise you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.